Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Morning Christ Fellowship. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. To start off my message today, I just want to tell you about this little story that happened to me, a true story. I remember one time I was at home uh, where I, I lived on Sheridan Avenue, and while I'm inside the house, at a certain point I decide to go downstairs. And when I go downstairs to leave the house, um, once I opened the door, there was someone right there, right there at the door. Uh, I could tell they were acting very suspicious. Uh, they were up to no good wanting to do something. But all I know is that while this was happening, uh, like he ends up telling me, he's like, I'm looking for the Portuguese contractor. Now, if you know that area near Sheridan Avenue and all that, there's a lot of Portuguese families. So it did happen to be that right next door to my house was a Portuguese family that had a contractor in that lived there. So I thought it was a valid story. So I step out of the house. And as I stepped out of the house, um, I, I'm walking with him. And I didn't end up seeing this until afterwards. But he had a crowbar that he was trying to open the door next to my front door. And he ends up putting the crowbar down to the side once he heard someone was approaching the door right next door. So I'm walking down with him and I'm walking with him to my neighbor's house. I'm like, yeah, just ring the doorbell. And I could tell he was acting mad suspicious. So, and what gave it away, of course, was when I walked in front of the house, there was a car parked right in front of the house. And as I walked, I looked inside the car and the guy went like this. So at that moment, I'm like, uh, these two characters are doing something. Now, mind you, I didn't see any of the tools they were using but it was suspicious. So once he went over, he rang the doorbell of the Portuguese house and I stayed in my car and I called the police right away. I called the cops. I said, look, there's two people that are really suspicious. I think they're looking into breaking into houses. And then afterwards on that same day, when I went back into the house is where I ended up seeing the crowbar on the ground. They ended up leaving the crowbar that they were using in the house. So it's interesting, um, pretty much just the mind of a thief, the, the mind of a burglar, uh, just for them to think of how they could gain access. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember, there was a show. I used to love watching the show. It's called It Takes a Thief. There's going to be a picture behind me here just to, I don't know if you remember those guys, but this was a program on TV called It Takes a Thief. And what they would do is they would literally 
film a show of the burglars breaking into houses, obviously with the person's permission, the people would give permission because what would happen is they would break into homes from people that feel like their homes are unbreakable. Like, oh, you can't break into my house. It's, it's not going to happen. So they get permission. So the burglars, they film it where the burglars try to find access into the house. What's interesting, just for some statistics, I know that there's uh, a couple of police officers in the house too. Shout out to the police, EPD, EPD. And Newark too, Newark too. We can't forget about Newark. <laughs> Anthony's like, don't forget about Newark. Don't forget about Newark. So, uh, so with it, what's interesting is, it's going to be behind me too, 34% of the burglars walk in through the front door. And a lot of times the door is like open. They don't lock it. I think I've told you before, sometimes Jen forgets to lock the front door. I was like, like, Jen, you left me upstairs. I'm vulnerable. Anybody can come in. It's like, yeah, keep that door locked. You know, so so 34% of burglars just come right into the front and open the front door. 23%, they use a window on the first floor. 22% use the back door. And most of these times, the doors are left open. Like, it's not like they break in. A lot of times, they're left open. 11% gain entrance through the garage, 8% through a basement entry, and 2% are daring to go to the second floor, break in second floor. And guess what? They use a ladder. And guess whose ladder? Your ladder. So uh, they'll open your garage. You're like, yo, you got a ladder? I'm going to use your ladder. So they put the ladder out and they go up and go into the second floor. I know it's easy for us to see and understand the physical access points. It's easy. I mean, we get it. Front door, basement, uh, uh, like, you know, garage or, or pretty much back door. The second floor is a little bit tough to see, but it definitely could happen. But we can't forget that we have a spiritual thief and burglar. We have a spiritual thief and burglar. And I have to say that it's easy for us to forget. Like the same way, like every single day, uh, you, you want to make sure your house is locked. You want to make sure that, you know, if you have an alarm, put on the alarm. If you have cameras, make sure they're working. You want to ensure that, you know, your home is safe you got to make sure that your life is safe. We have a spiritual thief and burglar. Jesus said about the devil in John 10.10, he said, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Think about that. To steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Something you need to understand too, and I've said this before, the devil doesn't care if you say you love Jesus. He doesn't care even if you say that Jesus is your Lord because actions speak louder than words. So he doesn't care if you go to church on Sunday. You know, literally he doesn't care about those things. He'll still try to gain access to kill and destroy your life and everyone around you your husband, your wife, your kids, you know what I mean? Like your family, he, he, there's no love at all. Like, of course there isn't. He's looking to destroy. So something else that's interesting that the apostle Paul says as well, it's not going to be behind you, but in Ephesians chapter four, 
27, he says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. So in other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, don't give the devil access. Don't give him a foothold. And we know very well, like if someone's on the other side of the door and someone's able to put their foot in between to get leverage, that's sometimes all they need to knock down the door and gain full access. Here the Apostle Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him any type of access. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says this, be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to devour. I know I mentioned before, it's easy to see the physical access points, but I wonder if you've ever thought of spiritual access points. Spiritual access points. I mean, mind you, there's a lot of different potential access points the enemy is, might gain access into your life. But today we're going to be focusing on the book of Ephesians. And there's a part there where it focuses and he talks about, if you really look into it, he's highlighting access points that the enemy uses to get into our life. And of course, the Holy Spirit is active, wanting for us to know this and to equip us so that we could have victory in these type of battles. I'm going to highlight the five main access points. It's going to be behind me too. Number one is lies. Lies. The enemy wants to fill your life with lies. Just straight up. Anything that's not the truth, the enemy wants to fill your mind, your soul, your spirit, your entire life with lies. Impurity. Any sins, any impurity, any, you could say, spiritual dirt that the enemy is able to, to pretty much, like if you allow to have in your life, it becomes a point of access for the enemy to gain access into your life. A third one is distractions. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of distractions in this world. There's a lot of distractions. And what's crazy too is that some things might be good, but there's still distraction keeping you away from what God has for you. Number four is doubt. Like the moment you start doubting God and pretty much who God, what God has said, it becomes an access point for the enemy. And also hopelessness. The moment, the moment you view things as being hopeless, whatever the circumstances, no matter what the issues are, that's an access point for the enemy to come in. So I told you already that we're going to be talking about the book of Ephesians. Now, something that's important for us to realize about the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote it while being in prison. So Paul's in prison writing about the book of Ephesians. Guess what he gets to see a lot while he's in prison? Roman soldiers, all right? Roman soldiers. So here I'm going to show you a picture of a, Roman, a couple Roman soldiers. So you picture Paul being in prison, seeing Roman soldiers often, and all of a sudden God speaking to him 
and using what he's seeing as illustrations to bring out deep spiritual truths for us to understand. So here's Paul in prison, and he's looking at the Roman soldier, and God's speaking to him, and he starts saying this in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Now, I want to pause there for a second. He says to put on the full armor, not just part of the armor. He says the full armor. And a part that I think a lot of people miss, the part that he says of God. That armor belongs to God. That's God's armor that he gives us the honor to also wear. It's almost like if you have, I don't know, like, like an article of clothing, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, like, let's say if I have a suit and I give someone my suit to wear, obviously they, we have to be like the same height and stuff like that, but um, they get to wear my suit. It's the same type of feeling. Now, spiritually speaking, it's an armor that fits us all if we're willing to wear it. But this is God's armor. And something I want you to look at, we're not going to go to it now, but you could, a lot of people think the armor of God is only talked about and mentioned in Ephesians chapter six. There's a lot of places where there's references to the armor of God. And there's one in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, where it's talking about the helmet and it's talking about the breastplate and it's talking about God wearing it. Not someone else wearing it. God wearing the armor. So here in Ephesians, when it's telling you to wear the full armor of God, is of God. It belongs to God, and he gives us the honor to wear it. So it says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the evil schemes. The word schemes means trickery and craftiness. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against the people that we know and that we see, Um, And I just want to pause there real quick too. A lot of us, there's people that get on our nerves. There's people that we can't stand. There's people that like, you know, you probably could highlight as an enemy. They're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. We really have one enemy and it's uh, pretty much here. It says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, once again it says, so that when the day of evil comes, which it's going to come, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Then Paul starts to identify and highlight each of the pieces. And we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be staying at verse 14 as we continue. And it says this, Stand firm then with the bell of truth buckled around your waist. The bell of truth buckled around your waist. You'll have a picture here behind me too so you can get an idea. Now, Why do you think you need to wear a belt of truth? I love, a lot of times when I read the Bible, I love to see the contrary. If God is saying we need truth and to live by the truth, 
then what is the access point he's trying to protect me from? Lies. If he wants me to wear a belt of truth, it's because there's lies. There's lies in this world, and we need to be protected from that access point. And this is the thing. You can't, you can't discern a lie if you don't know the truth. So if you don't know God's word, people could be speaking lies to you and you could believe it. And for some of us, and I've been there, all of us, we've been there. Sometimes we've believed lies for such a long time that we've accepted it into our life as a truth. We've believed certain lies. And in the Bible says, um, Jesus said himself, the devil is the father of all lies. So we, we know he's a liar. He's always whispering. He's always saying things. And he wants to get into your head. He wants to be able to just destroy your life. And that's one of the things that we need to realize too. Now, we know belts hold everything together, you could say. And for a Roman soldier, he's able to keep his dagger. He's able to keep his sword. It's a place for him to hold everything. When you have God's truth in your life, it's able to hold everything in place, everything in place. It's like you know God's truth, so you are able to sort out all the lies that might be around you in this life. And it's something that's important because we need to apply God's word in our life every single day, every single day, because the noise of the world and the lies of the world and the enemy it could be deafening, like, you know, the way that they pretty much pour out and scream towards us. So I have a question for you just to see if there's any access that you've given um, to the enemy. Are you living in God's truth or believing lies from the devil? Are you living in God's truth or believing lies from the devil? And I know for some of us, we might be thinking, well, I might not know that I'm being tricked, you could say. And you could even ask God to reveal to you, like, what are things that you've accepted in your life that you know clearly from the Bible is wrong, but you've believed a lie? And I've said this before, even if the entire world is uniting and chanting something that's completely contrary to the word of God, it's a lie. Like, even though they say it's right, even though they say it's the truth, if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. So we got to make sure that we are positioned correctly. Moving on to um, the, the second piece, uh, it says in the same verse, verse 14, it says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. You might say to yourself, why do we have to put a breastplate of righteousness in place? And how I said before, another access point for the enemy that he attempts to use in our life is impurity. It's impurity. So when you think about it, it's like a breastplate for a soldier. It's to protect the vital organs of his body, mainly his heart. And we have to guard our heart above all else. I think I've read that somewhere. Guard our heart above all else. We want to make sure that our hearts, we're living with God's righteousness every single day and that there's no sin or impurity or darkness in our life, in our heart. 
Because that's something that's going to contaminate us like a spiritual cancer is eating us up in alive, inside, that we need to address. And the only way we could in, uh, address impurity and sin and that type of dirt, you could say, is through the blood of Jesus. That's it. Asking God for forgiveness. And when you ask God for forgiveness, you come to God and you ask him forgiveness and him to cleanse you. All of a sudden, when God sees you, he sees you through God's, Jesus's righteousness. He sees you through what he did. And obviously that is like you're accepted in God because of the sacrifice that Jesus did. But the problem here is that a lot of Christians don't see anything wrong with allowing our hearts to be contaminated, contaminated with impurity. We don't. We don't think, uh, a lot of Christians think it's okay to look at, to lust, to look at pornography, to look at things that we're not supposed to. A lot of Christians is okay, think it's okay to curse. Like sometimes I'm around some Christians and they're, they're, their mouths are more dirty than people I know that are not Christians. I was like, I was like, there, number one, there's no need, a reason to curse. But if you're cursing and you know that that's something that contaminates your heart, doesn't give a good witness for God at all. Like, you know what I mean? So, so all of a sudden, if you're allowing this contamination, whether it's um, cursing, sarcasm. Let's say a lot of people are sarcastic, putting people down when God tells you to build people up. But we're so used to it. And it's just so, so part of our personality or, or whatever it is that you, you don't think anything might be wrong with sarcasm. But if you're putting people down and not building people up, you're speaking the, way, the language of the devil. You're not speaking the language of your father. And I've said, uh, I, I've said this before. It's, it's funny because on Friday uh, at the bridge, this conversation came up with a couple adults that were there, not part of our program. And we were talking and they pulled me into it. They said, oh, because one person was saying, one person was saying it's like that everybody are, are children of God. And they brought me into that conversation. And I just came into the bridge. I'm like, well, what's going on? And they're like, come, Carlos, come. And they're like, this person saying that everybody's children of God. What are your thoughts? I was like, oh, man, this is going to be, uh, I, don't, I, I don't have a lot of time at this moment. <laughs> if you want to talk more about this, we can. But very briefly, we're all God's creation. We're not all his children. You become the child of the one that you declare is your father. And you, you, the way you declare who's your father is not what you say through your lips, is who you live out with your life, with your actions. So don't say just God is your father, but yet you're living your life like the devil. Like, you know what I mean? Like ways of the devil. It's like whoever you choose to live your life as, that's who your dad is. And the same way, like for those of you that are parents, if you have children, I, I like when I observe it, I think it's so cool when I see kids imitating their parents. You know what I mean? Like when kids, when they start doing the same thing their dad or their mom does, I think that that's such a cool thing. Like, you know, they say the things they do, they act the same way. And sometimes I, I see the parents and, oh, well, that's like, you know, that, that's the mom or that's the dad. You know, the bad part is the mom. No, 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 I'm joking. Um, so, so, but you get what I'm saying. 
you will act like your dad. So if God is your father and he's the one you're close to in your everyday, you'll start to look like your dad. If every day you're close to the whispers of what the enemy is telling you and you're believing what the enemy is telling you and you're living the way the enemy is telling you, that's your papa. You know, that's your dad. Whether you like it or not, that's your dad. And I don't care how much you say you love Jesus, you're letting the devil know you love him more by the actions that you're choosing to take in your life. So, so here we need to say, uh, what about hatred? What about unforgiveness? Contamination of the heart, impurity. I know people, people have told me straight out, be like, Carlos, I'll never forgive them. I was like, all right, so you, 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 you want to decide to be in a spiritual prison for the rest of your life. Because it's not just by you forgiving someone, it's not saying that what they did was right. It's by literally releasing them in, into God's hand. It's like, God, you handle that, him, and I'm going to choose to forgive him because I'm not created to carry this weight of bitterness and unforgiveness in my life. I'm going to choose not to carry it, and I'm going to let, let it go. So that's something important for us to realize. So here... Oh, and this is another, another point I don't want to forget, is every single day we need to live under God's righteousness as a breastplate. And when we sin, we need to come to God immediately asking God to cleanse us with his blood. Like, if you sin and you don't have any inclination or desire to come to God to ask him for forgiveness— that's a huge red flag that your heart is becoming callous and cold and your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit has become dull because literally you, your heart has to be in the same rhythm as God so that when you sin, and we all sin, none of us are perfect. I sin every day. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're all sinners and that's why we need God. Like, you know, none of us are perfect. So, so if the moment we sin or do something that we know doesn't please God's heart, literally taking that moment and asking God to pretty much forgive you and to cleanse your heart with his blood. So the question I have for you is here, are you entertaining sins in your life and allowing your heart to become impure? Entertaining sins. You're so used to the sins, you've pretty much made it like you gave it a, a, a couch and a living room set in the center of your heart just because it's so comfortable in your life. But you got to evict the sin out of your life. The third, uh, as we continue in Ephesians 6.15, it says this, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So here, remember how I, I told you, you always want to see the contrary. Like, where's the access point? If God wants you to have your feet pretty much ready, pretty much to declare the gospel of peace, to evangelize, to be a witness, to do God's work, what is the contrary? What's the, the, the place where the enemy could gain access? It's distractions. It's the opposite. There's only two, 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 two avenues, doing God's will and distractions. That's it. And the thing is with distractions, good things could be distractions. Your family could be a distraction. Obviously, family is a beautiful thing that's a blessing from God. 
But if you put your family over God, it's a distraction. God comes above all. Your career could be a distraction. Your relationship could be a distraction. You know, like you're pretty much uh, like your schooling could be a distraction. Your hobbies could be a distraction. Your sports, video games, social media could be a distraction. There's so many things that could be a distraction. And obviously those are some general things, but sins are distra- uh, distractions too. And if we're not doing God's will, we're distracted. Are we being distracted? Are we distracted? And let me tell you something. And I, I know you know this, but life is so short. Life is so short. Like e- even within the last two, three weeks, like I've been to many viewings or funerals. Like life is very, very short. And I've mentioned this before. Wh- one of my... I guess like if I have like a fear, like a greatest fear type of thing or, or uh, that I never would want to um, be in, in shoes I would want to be in, is, is being at like the end of my life, you could say, and looking back at my life and saying I wasted it. It's like I missed it. I chased after all these other things that the world says is important but I didn't do the main thing, which is doing God's will. And I, I, like one of the things we need to realize is success in life is doing God's will for your life. That's success. It's not about making money. It's not about owning properties. It's not about degrees. It's not about influence. It's not about power. It's not about like anything else. It is, it's, not, it's not about how many likes you get on social media because some of us that get caught up in that. None of that. It's about doing what God has called you to do. Whatever it is, what God has told you to do, if you accomplish that, that is success. If you don't accomplish that, you've been distracted and you lived an unsuccessful life. I don't care how many billions you might have. I don't care how much things you might own or whatever it is, whether you're filthy rich or you have a penny in the bank account. The bottom line is, is doing God's will is success. That, that's a major thing. Now, it's interesting how here it focuses on your shoes. Because wherever your feet are pointing, it's the direction that you're going to. So you need to realize what direction you're going through in your life. So the question I have for you here is this. Are you living, doing God's work? Or do you find yourself filled with distractions? That's something you need to ask yourself. Are you living, doing God's work, or you find your life filled with distractions? Moving to the fourth piece, and we're going to be highlighting the five major pieces um, that are defensive pieces, you could say. It says here in verse 16, in addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So if God tells you that you have to take up the shield of faith, what's the access point that the enemy is trying to look at to gain access into your life? It's doubt, okay? Obviously, it could be other things too. I mean, when you think about it, it could be fear. It could be other things. But doubt, the enemy would love for you to have doubt in your life. And something I want to highlight with the Roman shield before we even continue 
A lot of the Roman shields were made out of wood and leather. And one of the things that they would do, they would dip it in water and like soak it a little bit in water before they go out to battle because with it being wet, when people come with their arrows, with um, their flaming arrows, they would get extinguished as they hit the shield as well. So here we clearly see that that God wants us to take up the shield of faith. And when you think about our lives, it's like, have we believed, have we doubted God? Have we doubted God on the things he said about you? Have we doubted God that he loves you? Like, I, I know certain people, and I was there too, especially in the beginning of my walk, that it was hard for me to accept that God loved me. It was just hard for me to accept it. I knew that he died on the cross. I, 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 I knew all of that. But for some reason, I felt like I had to earn his love. So the more good I did, the more God would love me. Or if I did bad, he would love me less. And I would just doubt his love for my life. Um, to, to the point that, Sometimes like, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but I would ask God for forgiveness for something that I did probably like 10 times. Like, like 10 times the same thing. Like, it's not like I kept sinning the same thing. Like, I just sinned and God, please forgive me, cleanse me. Like, you know, like fill my life with your love. And that prayer, I probably repeated it like 10 or 20 times afterward until one day someone that was very mature in their walk, to Carlos, why do you do that? It's like the moment that you ask God for forgiveness and you generally mean it, you're forgiven. It's done. God's shed blood is sufficient and powerful enough to forgive you if you come to him in repentance. That's it. One time, ask him for forgiveness for that sin, and that's it. Like, obviously, if I, have to, if I do that sin again, I have to come to God again. But that was, like, revolutionary for me because I realized it's like I just, I could come to God and ask for forgiveness and he will forgive me uh, completely. But that's an example of doubt. Here, a question I have for you is this. Have you allowed doubt about who you are in God and his will for your life um, to fill your life? So have you allowed the doubt, the whispers of the enemy of who you are in God, you know, the child of God that you are to fill your life or God's will for your life? You, every single one of us, God has plans for our lives. He's, he's fashioned us to accomplish what he wants to get done. But the doubt that comes to our mind so often is so strong that we start to think, why would God want me? Why would God use me? Why, like, it can't be for me. Think about that. It's like everywhere in scripture, you see God speaking to everyone, guiding them into what he has for them. And it's like, but it's not for me. So all of a sudden, these whispers of doubt about who you are in God and his will for you, has, have they filled your life? So here, we're going to step into the fifth um, article um, with the soldier, Ephesians 6.17. 
It says, take the helmet of salvation. We're going to pause there. Obviously, the verse continues. We're going to pause there. Um, So why would you need the helmet of salvation? And one of the reasons is this, is because salvation is where our hope is. Like, think about it. Salvation is not just what's going to happen when you get to heaven. When you get saved, your salvation, your entire life is transformed and you're never the same. Like you, know, you become a new creation. And literally salvation is something that impacts you, not just in the future, it impacts you today. Today. If you're truly saved because of salvation, you're like, in the Bible even says, working out your salvation every single day, literally your life is being transformed because of what Jesus did and salvation. There's hope. And there's hope because of the helmet of salvation. And an access point the enemy uses is hopelessness. Hopelessness. How I mentioned before, the enemy wants you to feel hopeless. Because think about it. The opposite is having hope. A friend of mine once said a long time ago, as long as Jesus is sitting on the throne, there's always hope. There's always hope. No matter what's happening in your life, there's always hope. It doesn't matter if your world seems to be falling apart. There's always hope. It doesn't matter if there's drama at home. There's always hope. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't mean that the circumstances aren't important. It's just in the middle of the chaos, as long as Jesus is sitting on the throne, and of course we know he is and he will forever be, there's always hope. But the enemy wants you to have hopelessness in your life. He wants you to look at your marriage like with hopelessness, your relationships with your kids with hopelessness, your job, your work, your life with hopelessness. We literally with your relationship with God with hopelessness, like there's circumstances that are happening in your life right now. And he doesn't want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. He wants you to fix your eyes on how bad things are, how things are just going to get worse how there's no way out, that you're never going to be free. You're never going to be delivered. You can never change. You can never like become the person that you know God's called you to be. Like he wants to literally fill your life with hopelessness. And when the whispers become so strong, you believe it as truth. And literally it's something that we know that happens in someone's minds that it starts because the battle is in the mind, but you could physically see it. You could physically see it in people's lives sometimes. You could see their heart and life, they're like downcast. They're like, you know, just like depressed all the time. And here it says like the helmet of salvation. Um, the The helmet of salvation, obviously we know it's a helmet and it's to protect our minds our minds, and and how I said, the battle is always in the mind. The enemy wants to gain access. The enemy doesn't know what you're thinking. He knows what you say, and he knows how you react to the things that probably he whispered to you because of your actions. But the battle is in your mind, and you don't want to give the enemy any type of access. Here, the question I have for you, oh, something I did want to how I told you, the armor of God 
is mentioned in different places throughout the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, you could go to it in your own time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, and he calls it this, the hope of salvation as a helmet. The hope of salvation as a helmet. So, so there I highlighted five major pieces of the art, pretty much of armor of the outside. And um, I told you a little story in the beginning of my, uh, the talk about what happened when I lived with my parents. Something that's actually pretty funny is, um, that happened to us was one day when I got married. Um, when I got married, I decided to live really far away from home across the street um, from my mother's house. Uh, like, it's almost like everybody loves Raymond. You know how they live right across the street. Uh, I wanted to stay close um, to my mom. For those of you that knew me during that time, my dad had passed away recently, so I wanted to be close. So we moved across the street from my mom's house on Sheridan, and while we were there, um, we lived, before I lived in a two-family house, so we, my mom, we had the apartment on the second floor, and while we were at the apartment, uh, you, you, you would hear the neighbors underneath and stuff. But when we moved across the street, it was a four-family house. Yo, the game, everything changes in a four-family house. <laughs> the noises change. So I remember being there in the four-family house, and you just hear everything. Like, you hear people. We were in, like, the corner, so we heard people above us. There was a little girl up there that used to play with marbles. Yo, Lord, you had to help me forgive her because, you know, my girl was playing with marbles every day, throwing them, rolling them. I had nightmares about marbles. So uh, it was like marbles all day. So, and then I had a neighbor on the side and it was just so much noise. And I remember the first night we're in our uh, apartment there um, and we're sleeping and you could hear everything. And everything was so crystal clear that somebody slammed the door and just walking up in like, it, it sounded like it was in, in my apartment, but it was my neighbor's apartment. But because the walls are so thin, I thought someone, a burglar came into my house. Like, and I've had a couple different experiences in my life with stuff like that. So I thought a burglar came up. I jumped out of that bed so fast. I jumped out of that bed, like, like literally I was probably sleeping and like a ninja, yeah. Jen, Jen knows like I, I could become ninja like very quick. So I like jumped off. I probably jumped off real quick. I went up to the door and I put both hands on the door. I'm like, hold the doors. I'm like Jen, get up, get something. We got to go on the offensive, get something. And this is Jen. Look, look what she got in the picture here. I'm holding the door and I'm like, Jen, get something. And, and she got La Chancla. Chancla. No, no, just kidding. She didn't get the chancla. But it is a true story. I did get up and I jumped up. But as you know, we would always want to go on the offensive. And here the Apostle Paul changes things. He starts in Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. It starts off, take, um, take the helmet of salvation. But then he starts now talking about other weapons, he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So here, the apostle Paul highlights the word of God, 
and he highlights prayer. The word of God in prayer. So many times we, we just, a lot of people, when they talk about the armor of God, they just focus on the sword of the spirit. But all the other part where he talks about prayer, like they don't even recognize that part. He highlights how important it is to pray. Even though he pretty much just says pray all the time. Prayer has to be part of your lifestyle, not an event that happens in the morning or at night or before you eat that Big Mac. Like, you know what I mean? Like, prayer has to be part of your lifestyle. Everything being brought up to prayer. Part of a, prayer is a posture of your heart where you bring things up to God and the word of God. Now, think about this. Jesus spent tons of time always praying to Father God. And when he was confronted with the burglar, Satan, he said, it is written, he used God's word to address the attack, you could say, the temptation from the enemy. If Jesus had to do it, how much more do we have to do it? How much more do we have to do it? And and when you think about it, when is the last time we've read God's word? Our effort to apply God's word? This has to be a daily discipline in our lives. When was the last time we've prayed? That has to be a daily discipline. And with er- that word discipline, nobody likes that word discipline. Like who likes that word discipline? Like discipline is like, you feel like you're being punished. <laughs> it's like discipline is doing something you don't like to do per se, just for the sake, because you know, the benefit is also greater, you know, in general. I don't like to work out. I really don't. Even though I go to Planet Fitness probably every single day as I drive by and I wave at it. So, um, you know, I don't like to work out, but I know I should be working out because to reduce the chichos in the body, you know, it's important. There's a benefit to it. You know very well that if you pray and you read God's word, there's benefits to it in your own life, in your family's life, and everyone, um, every in everyone that you're around. Something that I do want to mention that's really important too, and I would see this so much like throughout my life in the beginning, and I get it with little kids, it's cute, talking about the armor of God, uh, you know, and you pray the armor of God. Putting on the armor of God is not you just saying a little prayer in the beginning. It's like, God, put on the armor, put on the armor. I'm going to take up the shield of faith And right now I take it up as I walk out the house. It's so much more than just a little prayer you do in the uh, morning or a declaration you make in your life. Literally putting on the armor of God is daily decisions that you make throughout the day. That is putting on the armor of God. It's not just a moment you pray it. Or, or, or you just think it's on and you could go on and live as you would want to. And I'll give you an example of this. So how do you do it? It's choosing daily truth over lies. Choosing daily. God, God's, Siri, I'm not talking to you. I, I don't know if you heard it. I, I squeezed my phone real quick and Siri said, I don't understand you. I don't understand you either. Get out of here. So, uh, so it's choosing daily his truth over lies. That's a daily decision. So all of a sudden, if the enemy's whispering a lie to me or someone is saying a lie to me and it's not something I want to believe. And at that moment, I make the decision to believe God's truth. At that moment, 
I'm reinforcing and applying God's armor into my life. That's how you apply God's armor. Choosing daily his truth over lies. Choosing daily his righteousness over impurity. Choosing daily readiness to do God's will over distractions. Choosing daily faith over doubt. Every single day, choosing daily hope over hopelessness. And these are decisions that we make every day. I don't know about you, but maybe you might be thinking, it's like, does the enemy have access to my life? Does he have access? At this moment, is he operating in my life? I'm going to even highlight real quick four levels of access that you'll see behind me. The enemy will start off desiring to have influence in your life. And the more you entertain it and listen to him, the more he's going to be speaking into your life. And he wants to gain influence in your life. Instead of us choosing not to listen to his voice and to silence his voice in Jesus' name and to live for God, his influence, he wants to gain influence. After influence, he goes into a stage of harassment. He'll start to harass you even to a point that you might even experience it physically, the harassment that the enemy would want to do. Harass your life, like literally like bringing thoughts, um, negative thoughts to your life, negative thoughts uh, to you, leading you to places of, of depression and sadness that you know we all get sad. Like, you know, that happens. But when you know that it's different, that sadness, that it's, it's like heaviness holding you down, like you know it's different, and it goes into oppression. Oppression, where you feel that heaviness, something holding you down, pretty much holding you back. You feel like you take one step forward and you're pushed back like 10 steps. Like it's hard for you to have victory in your life and to move forward. A lot of times the enemy, it's oppressive in people's life. And then lastly, control. The enemy wants to have control of your life. And something we need to realize is that this, this list of levels is not for unbelievers. This is for believers too. You could, you could allow the enemy to have access all those levels, even to the point of control, you know, if you allow him to. Remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will push with his demons as far as he can go if you allow him to. What's sad that even at this very moment, maybe in your own life, you've allowed him to. You've given him permission to pretty much come and steal things that mean so much to you, kill you and destroy you little by little. But it's your decision on what you're going to do with that. I told you a little bit before about living at home. Um, like most of you know, I, I wasn't raised going to church. Uh, like we would go pretty much like a couple times during the year, maybe to a Catholic church or, um, my, my greatest motivation was after we went to Catholic church, my dad used to take us to eat pizza. So I, like, I was like, all right, let's go eat pizza. So, uh, pizza, you know me, I love food. So, um, so we used to go, and then it got to a point that we would just go like twice a year, like twice a year, like, you know, Eastern Christmas type of thing. But 
one of the things that really affected me a lot growing up was, I mean, I had two parents that loved me very much, but they didn't realize that they participated in something that was negatively, negatively impacting me and my sisters so much um, and their lives as, as well. They practiced Santeria. Uh, my parents practiced Santeria. It was, it was mixed with a couple other things and stuff. But as a little kid growing up, I mean, like even though I didn't have a relationship with God, if somebody would have ever asked me, it's like, Carlos, uh, do you believe God is real? I was like, yeah, God's real. Carlos, uh, do you believe the devil's real? I know the devil's real. And, and it's crazy because it's, I wish I did, I wouldn't be able to say that as a little kid. But I knew the devil was real. No one had to tell me if the devil was real. No one had to tell me if evil was real. Nobody had to tell me if darkness was real. Because as a little kid, I would see things, hear things, feel things that were not normal and were terrifying. I was tormented pretty much my entire childhood. My entire childhood tormented, even to the point that even, and I don't even share this too often, even to the point that I didn't want to sleep in my bedroom at all. I would go to the bathroom and I would stay in the bathroom like for three hours. My parents would probably be like, yo, que le pasa a Carlos? Tiene dolor de barriga. You know what I mean? It's like he has like stomach ache. Like why is he in the bathroom for three hours? I legit just didn't want to go to sleep. I wanted to stay up. Um, and I was literally tormented all the time. And, um, and I remember when I was 18 years old and I gave my life to God and and I came to understand what's happening little by little. I remember as clear as day going to my bedroom. I took all that garbage. I took I went up to my parents' room. I said, look, you gave me all this stuff. I don't want it. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but not in my room. I knew it wasn't my house. I couldn't say not in my house. Be like, all right, you get out of this house then. Like, you know, I couldn't say that. I said, not in my house. In my house, in my room, all I want is God's presence. That's it. And I legit, I have so many stories, so many stories. There's some stories I actually don't share with anybody, though. So many stories of just seeing God's power manifest itself in that room that literally was mind-blowing. And little by little, my sister came to the Lord, my mom came to the Lord, my dad came to the Lord. And I remember as clear as day, the moment, I remember clear as day, my mom, especially, she was like, Carlos, you could destroy everything that I have of Santeria. She, she legit said, you could go to, you could destroy the altar. I was like, all right, you don't got to tell me twice. Yeah, I picked up the biggest hammer I could find in my basement. I said, she, but just to show you, how twisted it is. Like my mom didn't even want to be in the house when I did it because she was so afraid of the consequences. But I knew that I had the armor of God on. And legit, I went in and I remember I was there with my, my friend. I was there with my friend and I legit took a box, got my old my cassette, um, CD, no, uh, digital Apple music, um, my cassettes, my cassettes there. And we put worship music on. I say, all right, showtime in Jesus' name. <laughs> Just destroyed everything, put it in the garbage, and we threw it all out. 
And, and the reason why I say, I'm sharing that is just because the battle is real. And if you don't believe it is, the, the devil have, has you blinded. Legit, the devil has you blinded. So even now, I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads. I don't know where you are in your life when it comes to this, but does the enemy have access into your life? And I mentioned before, it's lies, it's impurity, distractions, doubt, and hopelessness. If you feel like you've allowed access to the enemy to have any type of ground in your life, and you just want to surrender your heart to God, ask God to cleanse you and for you to, in Jesus' name, to pretty much take over any ground that you might have given to the enemy, I want you just to stand to your feet. Just to stand to your feet where you are. If you want to close any of those doors, how I mentioned, lies, impurity, distractions, doubt, and hopelessness. Choosing today that you don't want to give the enemy a foothold at all. You want to wear the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. You want to have your feet readiness for the readiness for the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit as well. So right now, as you're standing, I want to give you the opportunity to first talk to God, ask God for forgiveness for anything that you've allowed in your life. Ask him to cleanse your heart even now. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord God. And right now I'm just going to ask you, God, that through your spirit, you would saturate this room, Lord God. Every life, Lord God, every soul, every mind, every heart, Lord God, that you would saturate us with your presence. In Jesus' name, we command every darkness that might want to gain any access into our lives or has access into our lives, we command it to leave our life right now in Jesus' name, to leave our life in Jesus' name. Jesus, we give you our entire life, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, to cover us with your blood, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord God, for all of our sins, Lord God. Help us close all of the access points, Lord God, that you've highlighted through, this, through the scriptures, Lord God. And God, also, God, we just pray, Lord God, that you would reveal to us during the day, during the day, those moments where we have to make decisions, Lord God, to believe in truth, Lord God, instead of lies, Lord God. Decisions, Lord God, to have hope instead of hopelessness, Lord God. Decisions, Lord God, to stay focused on doing your will and not get distracted in doing anything else, Lord God. Decisions, Lord God, to be able to live in your righteousness, Lord God. To live in your righteousness every single day. God, we just want to do your will and obey you and follow you forever. So God, we surrender everything to you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. 
If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.